This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. This Janet Mefford Today broadcast is brought to you in part by Bible League. For $5, you can send one Bible to a persecuted Christian overseas, and we really love their great work. Be a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. $5 for a Bible. Changing people's lives around the world. What a great opportunity. 800-YES-WORD. Let's talk just briefly about what is sure to be an interesting start to February in a few days. And that is when the, I I don't want to be over the top with my rhetoric. I'll just say House Speaker Pelosi, Miss Hair Salon Pelosi. I don't know, maybe they did something more to her head than just brush her hair. I don't know, cut her hair. She is just beyond description sometimes in what she's doing. So in trying to move forward and impeach and remove President Trump, this is their goal. The Democrats want to impeach and remove President Trump, who is now former President Trump, left office without causing any big splash. He left just like he said he would leave. And that was it. And now they have to go back, having impeached him for a second time, and try to see if the Senate will well, not remove him from office because he's already removed himself from office because his term expired and a new president was sworn in. But they're going to make sure that he can't ever run for office again. Now, on the one hand, you could look at this as insane, which I believe it is, or unconstitutional, which a number of legal minds have said it is. But you could also look at it as a sign that they are continually worried about Donald Trump. What else can you say about all of the efforts that they mounted over the previous four years to do away with him politically, whether it was the Russiagate hoax or the Ukrainian phone call hoax or all of the nuttiness surrounding the events of last summer with the rioting and the looting and the burning and the killing? Who could put up with that? I still am amazed when I pray for President Trump and I do. I am still amazed that one person was put through everything that he was put through during the past four years. Why can't they just let him go? Because he continues to have the support of so many Americans who, especially after President Biden entered office and started doing all kinds of draconian things, are quickly saying, oh, we need a leader. Oh, we need a leader. Oh, we have to go back to the kind of America that was supported by the Trump administration. Now, this is interesting. David Catron over at the American Spectator says the Trump impeachment is dead on arrival in the Senate and contends that President Trump will neither be convicted nor barred from holding public office, which is an optimistic point of view, I would say. President Biden and congressional Democrats have an opportunity to move beyond what they have routinely characterized as the chaos of the Trump era, yet having finally succeeded in evicting him from the White House and getting him censored by the various social media platforms, they plan to drag the bad orange man back into the spotlight for a show trial that even left of center legal scholars have declared unconstitutional by definition. Now, the show will be a flop. 
is his opinion on this. As Professor Emeritus at Harvard Law School, Alan Dershowitz wrote at the Wall Street Journal, now that Donald Trump is a private citizen, the Senate should dismiss the article of impeachment against him for lack of jurisdiction. Beyond the Constitution, there are strong policy and historical reasons an incoming administration shouldn't seek recriminations against its predecessor. Right. How would you like to set the stage for every incoming president to impeach the guy who just left office, which would help ensure the guy who's currently in office another term because he shamed his predecessor? And then when he leaves, the next guy does it. I think we've already reached that point of no return with using impeachment for purely political reasons. And I think most Americans recognize this, at least most clear thinking Americans recognize what these people are doing. It is a show trial. It's the Soviet Union would be proud. There's no reason to do this other than the fact that they don't want him to return to public office. And they are still very concerned about the fact that he might try and he might succeed. Although, who knows with the way voting goes these days, but that's another question. Senate Republicans also, this is quite interesting, are getting cold feet. According to The Hill, Republicans say the chances that former President Trump will be convicted in an impeachment trial are plummeting. Only five or six Republican senators at the most seem likely to vote for impeachment, far fewer than the number needed, GOP sources say. They have observed, this is interesting, the angry response to House Republican Conference Chairwoman Liz Cheney, who is facing calls to resign from the House GOP leadership team after she voted last week to impeach Trump. Frankly, it is my opinion that all those people need to be primaried. All those people need to be primaried. I am tired of the preening and the posturing and the posing by the Jeff Flakes of the GOP who love to slap an R on the end of their names as they seek office and sound really nice. And then they get into office and they turn on who they should be supporting. I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of it. And I'm well aware that on the Democrat side of the aisle, the left has purged all of the all of the dissenters out of their own party. They're, they're pretty much monolithic on the left. And I'm not necessarily of the opinion that that's always a good thing to be monolithic. But on the other hand, this is not a time for all of these GOP congressmen and senators to stand up and slam their own party and slam their own base continually and slam their own president from their own party. The left doesn't do that. Why are you guys doing that all the time? And I think the people have had enough of it. I think that's what the Trump era has really ushered in. The voice of the people who are no longer willing to play business as usual and to vote for people because they have an R behind their name. I think a lot of people on the Republican side of the aisle have had enough of that nonsense. So that would be a good thing. Liz Cheney obviously got in trouble in Wyoming with her own people. So uh, if they're taking that as a sign of things to come, then then that's probably a good thing. Now, this is interesting. Senator Josh Hawley, you know, has been under fire because he was one of the senators who was concerned about the election results. And he wrote a piece over at the New York Post. It's time to stand up against the muzzling of America. And you can read this. He talks about the fact that his book deal was canceled and he's had all these people come after him. But he says it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. The tech titans have already booted dozens of conservatives off social media, and if they have their way, half the House Republican conference will be expelled from Congress. The corporate titans seem to believe that the only way to get a democracy to their liking is to eliminate all threats to the Democratic Party's unified control of government. The alliance of leftists and woke capitalists hopes to regulate the innermost thoughts of every American from school age to retirement 
And they've trained enforcers of the woke orthodoxy to monitor dissent or behavior, misbehavior, I should say. A Karen who cuts the wrong person off in traffic gets followed home on a live stream and shamed into crying for mercy as her license plate is broadcast to an online horde eager to hound her out of a job. And everyone knows it can happen to them, so everyone shuts down. And the circle of trust narrows. And conversations, too easily recorded, shift to encrypted messaging apps for now until those get banned, too, for interfering in efficient social credit markets. And one of his points in this article is, what's your social credit score? This is something we've talked about on the show before. China has this social credit score. Are you shopping at all the places you want to shop? Well, if you're in China and you don't go to the right places or you don't know the right people, you may not be able to do the way, you know, do life the way you want to do it or go where you want to go because they're going to make sure that you do what they want you to do. I don't want that kind of country to you. I don't want that kind of country. And his argument is the cancel culture agenda will only succeed if we let it. We need live in fear only if we choose to say nothing. And in this time of testing, conservatives must not shrink back. We need to stand up for the right of every American to be heard. He did this, by the way. And I thought this was great. He's called for an ethics investigation into Democrats who filed the ethics complaint against him. You go, Senator Hawley. Yep, because they filed an ethics complaint against him and Senator Cruz over their Electoral College objections. And, you know, this is the way you have to do it. I remember Tucker Carlson was under fire from the left and they were trying to, I don't even remember what they were complaining about. They have so many things that drive them nuts every day. But they were going after his advertisers and he stood up and he said, I'm, I'm not apologizing and I'm not going to capitulate and I'm going to stand my ground and go away. And guess what? They did. They did go away because he was strong enough to stand up to the bullies. And I think we need many more people in Congress who have a good head on their shoulders who will say, I'm not going to take the bullying anymore. I'm going to stand up for my country and for what is right. A lot ahead. Stay with us here on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford, here to tell you about the Ministry of Preborn. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just, oh my gosh. You just heard a real-life testimony from a woman whose life was changed by the Ministry of Preborn. You see, when a young woman considering abortion sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she almost always chooses life for her preborn baby. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life will be without her. Preborn steps into the darkest corners and finds women in need to help them choose life. The mission of Preborn is to glorify Jesus Christ by equipping pregnancy centers nationwide to help save lives and impact moms and babies for the kingdom of God. Preborn leads the country in placing ultrasound machines and counseling women while also helping to lead them to saving faith in Jesus. In 2020 alone, over 31,000 babies were saved and over 7,000 women came to know the Lord. I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. (laughs) 
I was certain I was going to keep my baby forever. Would you join with us at Janet Mefford today to help preborn help women choose life for 350 babies by the end of January? All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes toward life. One ultrasound session costs $28. A gift of $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds. But any gift of any size will help. $100, $200, $1,000, or maybe you could even help buy an ultrasound machine for $15,000. But whatever you can give will help. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. Again, call toll-free, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, now that we have a radical pro-abortion administration in the White House, we have to focus even more on saving babies' lives. There are some notable legislative threats ahead that could be devastating for the cause of life, showing why we have to keep up the fight. But there also have been some solid gains for the pro-life movement. And the details are available now in National Right to Life's 8th Annual Report on the State of Abortion in the United States. Here to tell us more about it is Carol Tobias, President of National Right to Life. So great to have you here, Carol. How are you? Thank you, Janet. I am doing great. Well, I am so glad that you guys put out this report. It's always so helpful to kind of encapsulate the state of the movement and what kinds of challenges are ahead. And certainly we have a lot. Always these numbers just break my heart. 62.5 million abortions. That's what you're estimating. The cumulative total is up to now. Yes. 62 million from (sighs) 1973 since Roe v. Wade was legalized. My goodness. And and it's interesting, though, because you've said that these are not the peak as far as the annual number of abortions. It, it's not at a peak as of the latest data. Is that correct? Yes. In 1990, we saw the highest number of abortions ever with 1.6 million unborn children being killed by abortion. The numbers have now dropped to a little more than 800,000 a year which means that the number of women who are choosing life for their babies has increased dramatically. Uh, We we aren't quite half of the all-time peak of 1990, but we are getting close. And I think that is a huge success for the pro-life movement, and that should encourage us to keep working, keep fighting, to keep saving those babies so that we can drop those numbers even more. Oh, that is good news. And like you said, it's a Holocaust either way, but to see the numbers going down is always preferable. Would you say that primarily the reason that those numbers are falling is due to the work the pro-life movement has done to show the humanity of children? Or is it also due to the the number of abortion clinics going down or those kinds of things in combination, uh, you know, reason for the numbers that we're seeing? I think the numbers are dropping because women are just deciding they don't want to kill their unborn child. They're not going through with the abortion. The pro-life movement has done a fantastic job in educating and reaching out to our, you know, fellow citizens, telling them that the unborn child is a human being that needs to be protected. We have seen an explosion of pregnancy resource centers, that are providing all kinds of amazing help and support to a pregnant woman who does find herself in a difficult circumstance. She's pregnant, but isn't quite sure, you know, what to do or how to handle the circumstances in her particular uh, life. In her case, we have been passing legislation 
And legislation, even though it protects unborn children, also has a great educational value. American people are hearing about unborn babies who can feel pain, babies who are being dismembered, you know, dying because they have their arms and legs torn off in uh, an abortion procedure, uh, babies who have heartbeats. You know, we, we're just really getting out there to where now, you know, many, many years ago when a baby was born, that was the first baby picture, you know, wrapped in a pink or blue blanket, you know, lying in mom's arms. Now the first baby picture is that ultrasound. Yes. So all of the young kids that are, you know, high school, teenage, college, you know, even the millennial years, their first picture was an ultrasound. So how do they look at that and say, that was me before birth, but it's okay to kill someone else at that same stage. Mm. So I think there are just a lot of things that have all been coming together to encourage women not to get an abortion if they find themselves pregnant unexpectedly. You know, I hadn't thought about that before, the effect that those ultrasounds will have on a whole new generation who's just used to them. And especially when you see some of these 3D, and I think I think there are even 4D ultrasound pictures now, aren't there, where you can really see the baby? 4D and they're in color and you can look at the baby and say, you know, she's got mom's smile <laughs> or that's daddy's nose. Mm. Um, yeah, that really does have an impact, I think. And, and we're those are becoming so common. Everybody has seen them on Facebook because friends are posting, you know, their pictures that it's hard to deny that unborn child is a human being that should be protected. Totally right. Now let's go to some of the threats that we're facing with the pro-abortion administration. President Biden has already said, despite what the Supreme Court might do with the Roe decision, he wants to codify Roe into law, which, you know, sends chills down the spines of pro-lifers. But we also have the threat that the Hyde Amendment will be taken away. Can you talk about some of these threats and, and which ones, you know, really are of great concern and, and how we tackle these kinds of threats as we're moving into the next four years? I would say any and all of them are great concerns because President Biden and Vice President Harris have committed to pushing forward an agenda that would allow abortion for all nine months of pregnancy for any reason with no limits whatsoever. We were all kind of shocked and appalled when some of the states, you know, even two years ago, like New York and then Vermont and Rhode Island, Chicago, Illinois, Mm -hmm. uh, they were passing these bills to say, you know, we're going to remove all protections for unborn children in the laws. We're going to have abortion with no limit for all nine months of pregnancy That is what the Biden-Harris administration wants to do on a national level. Mm. They want our laws to have no limits whatsoever on abortion, and they want to push that at a national level. I certainly hope and don't think they will be successful with that, uh, but they do have a majority in the House. And with Kamala Harris as the presiding officer in the Senate, they would have a majority in the Senate. If they are able to get rid of the filibuster, who knows what kind of damage they could do. They have stated very clearly they want to get rid of the Hyde Amendment because they want our tax dollars to pay for abortions, uh, to pay for the killing of unborn children in the Medicaid program, but they would like to get rid of all limits so that abortion is just covered in any health insurance plan, especially any federal health insurance plan that has federal subsidies, uh, many of those arising out of Obamacare. Yes. Uh, they want to do pass the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, which would say that 
basically, since only women can get pregnant, uh, you cannot discriminate against them and deny them a surgical procedure that men can't, you know, have no use for in the abortion. Uh, so they are going to be coming after the unborn children and their mothers in many ways. And pro-lifers just need to be alert and um, be looking, you know, to groups like National Right to Life to know when they need to be making their voices hear, heard very loudly, very clearly uh, with their members of Congress, you know, not to let some of these things pass. Oh, that's so important. It's kind of funny when you had mentioned that one of their arguments is you can't discriminate because only women can get pregnant. Isn't it a thing with the left that they call them pregnant people now? I mean, can we turn that on the head and say, wait a minute, you guys are the same ones saying people from both sexes can get pregnant. It seems they can pretty much say anything they want to say and get away with it sometimes. Uh, They are certainly doing their best to get away with it. We're not going to let them. Yes, that's so important. The ERA also, just to touch on this briefly, because I've talked about this over the last year when they've been trying to get this momentum to bring back the ERA. The ERA is dead, right, Carol? I mean, it didn't get enough states to ratify it back in the 70s and the whole, you know, thing with Phyllis Schlafly. People remember that history. How in the world can you revive the ERA given the fact that it's dead? Congress needs two-thirds of the House and the Senate uh, to pass the bill, and then it has to go to the states, and we need three-fourths of the, the state legislatures to adopt. So Congress, in 1972, sent an Equal Rights Amendment to the states. Thirty-five of them passed it, but we needed they needed 38. Well, the, the 1979 deadline, seven years to, to ratify it, came and went. Congress tried to extend that to 1982, the Supreme Court said, you know, the deadline is over. So now in 2021, some members of Congress are coming forward saying we want to change the 1979 deadline for ratification to and then, you know, give them a couple of years to allow more states to come forward. So they are trying to use a majority vote in Congress to amend a constitutional amendment which takes two-thirds vote. Hmm. And they're going through all kinds of hoops. Um, Fortunately, we have had some really amazing judges put on the federal bench over the last four years, and I certainly hope and expect that they will... you know, say hogwash when this comes before them, if it ever gets that far, that you cannot amend the Constitution in such a flaky manner. Well, and it just seems like they're getting so desperate on the abortion issue. They're going further and further left all the time. And when you see the gains that the pro-life movement is making in the hearts and minds of people, will this backfire as sometimes the really radical parts of the left's agenda tend to backfire? Do you see that potentially happening, Carol, that people will push back and say, you people are nuts. This is not the will of the American people. I I do. When New York State uh, two years ago passed their law to say, we're going to remove all protections for unborn children. We were flooded with calls from people saying, I can't believe they're doing this. I, you know, I'm there. I'm finally waking up to what's happening. Good. What can I do? And I think we would see that again, if Congress pushes too far. And that's why we're trying to make a big issue out of the born alive abortion survivors protection act. If a baby survives the abortion and is still living then that baby should get the same care and medical treatment as another baby born prematurely in another, you know, institution or a facility uh, anywhere. 
that they should get that same care. And the Democrats in Congress are fighting it. If the uh, intent of the abortion was to end up with a dead baby, then the abortionist and those with him in the room should not have any responsibility for taking care of a baby that actually survives the abortion. Mm. Now, most people would think that's just crazy. And yet that's where our opponents in this whole battle are. Wow. It, it's just such a big fight ahead, but we're really grateful for National Right to Life and Carol Tobias. Carol, thank you so much for your hard work and for giving us an update on your wonderful report. Happy to do it. Thank you, Janet. All right. You take care. NRLC.org. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Faith is belief without evidence. Every instance of faith is dangerous. So said Sam Harris. He's one of the noteworthy new atheists who have made such a big splash in recent years. But just think about the first part of that quote, faith is belief without evidence. Well, Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But what is our Christian faith based upon? A historical event, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Now, this is just one example of some of the absurdities that come out of the mouths of these intelligent but foolish atheists who are influencing so many people. How do we respond to some of these ridiculous assertions? We're going to get some help on it today from author Patrick Prill. He talks about it in his book, Things Atheists Say That Simply Make No Sense. I love the title. Patrick, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Janet. It's a pleasure. Thank you. There is no God. This is one of the silly things that make no sense that atheists tend to say. That seems to be the root foolish thing that atheists believe. Do do these people understand that in order to assert that there is no God, you would have to have knowledge of everything? I mean, do they understand that basic point? Well, it it seems not. The, The challenge is, in the naturalistic worldview, atheism is actually the presumption. So, their, their whole view of reality is based upon a fundamental assumption that the physical is all there is. So if I approach life that way, then of course there's no God, because the only tools that I'm going to use to make that decision are based upon purely the tools of naturalism, which can't answer that question. Well, that's exactly right. So when you're talking about naturalism, tell people what that entails. People will be familiar, obviously, with the naturalistic worldview. But why is it that naturalism just operates on this assumption that there is no God? What is the connection there? Well, when you look at naturalism, um, there's a lot of different definitions based upon whether you look at it from the standpoint of philosophy or the natural sciences. I like to simplify it and think of naturalism as one three-lane highway. The first lane in the highway is where you're looking at the world basically through the eyes of matter. So the physical is all there is. Uh, The second lane is looking at the world primarily through the eyes of biology. And the third lane is looking at the world primarily through the eyes of people. 
Now, the challenge with naturalism is you do have some people who kind of approach their naturalism and stick to one lane. You have others that want to continually change lanes. So when you're trying to uh, have a conversation with someone who embraces naturalism, it's first really essential to find out what lane they're driving in. True. Yeah, right. So when you're looking at, you know, having a conversation with somebody who looks at the lane of, say, looking at the world through matter, what do their arguments sound like when you try to have a conversation about the potential existence of God? Do they just refuse to even consider the possibility because they're so committed to the naturalistic worldview? They, they essentially are. And a good example of this is a gentleman named Alex Rosenberg, who's a professor at Duke University. He was the head of the philosophy department at Duke. Uh, brilliant man, PhD from Johns Hopkins. His, his worldview is called scientism. And so the way that he looks at the world is that people, in a way, aren't really people. They're just lumps of matter. Uh, people have no intrinsic value. The universe has no purpose or meaning, and therefore you don't either. Morality is something that exists only based upon evolution, but not in reality. He says there really is no right or wrong. <laughs> and then to apply morality in form of ethics is really difficult because to him, uh, no one deserves punishment or reward because you do what you do because of what physics tells you to do. So when you look at a worldview like that through the eyes of matter that has a fundamental assumption that there is no God, it's really, really tough to have conversations about other important things like do people have value? Is there morality in the world? How do you apply ethics? Right. It, it makes all of those conversations difficult. Well, and you ask the question then, it would seem the next logical leap would be to say, so it's okay if I steal your car then, Dr. Rosenberg? Is it okay if I burn your house to the ground? You don't have any belief in right and wrong. This is all just kind of random happenstance that we're all living out. I, I mean, at some point, these people live out contradictions, don't they? When, when they're confronted with this nice pie in the sky ideal that, oh, no, there's no right and wrong, and there's no God, and there's no punishment, and yet it's built into them by God that there's a right and a wrong. I mean, it, it, do you find that with most, most of these atheists, they run up against that? Yeah, I, I, left, I gave an example in the book of a conversation that my high school daughter had years ago, and it was a young lady who was from Asia who basically contended that there is no God, and therefore that there is no right and wrong. And my daughter asked the simple question, then it's okay to murder someone. And the girl responded, oh, no, you shouldn't <laughs> murder anyone. <laughs> and then my daughter responded, well, what do you mean shouldn't? If there's no right or wrong, there's no such thing as shouldn't. shouldn't. Yes. You can do anything you want. Yeah. So, so even a high school girl who's from an atheist background, raised in an atheist worldview, recognizes morality, even though they don't claim that morality exists. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and you also point out in the book that this idea that science disproves God, this is a rather new argument, isn't it? I mean, this is not something that people have always said throughout time, that science is the be-all, end-all. Yeah, this is actually fairly new. It used to be that most atheists said that God cannot be proven or disproven. And what the leap is now is that that God can be disproven. And what they kind of do is they take this idea of the God of the gaps mm -hmm. and they turn it in reverse. And what they basically say is 
Theists have to prove that the universe can't exist without a God. So, you know, they say that God has to appear in all of those gaps, but this is actually a pretty terrible approach for them because the gaps are so significant that the gaps actually do prove in, in many respects that there is a God. That's, how is that the case? How, just for an well, example. I, I used a couple of examples. There's a great book by Fazel Rana called The Cell's Design, and I, I highly recommend it. Um, in it, he pointed out a number of things. And just as a couple of examples, um, DNA and protein for people who are into biology. So he pointed out that proteins can't be produced without DNA. But DNA can't be produced without protein. Hmm. So how does a circular biological process like that begin? There is no answer. So that's a gap that, uh, you know, Victor Stenger would, would claim, um, you know, would not necessarily disprove God, but, but which actually does suggest that there is a God. Another one he points out are proteins make other proteins. So this is another circular process where, you know, cells take proteins from amino acids, acids, and then they rec- to, to make proteins, and then they use these same proteins to make other proteins. So it's this circular process of, of proteins and amino acids re- basically using each other in a circular loop, and biology can't ha- answer how, how a process like that begins. That's interesting. But the biggest one to me, I actually think, is this minimum genome size, where Fazal Rana pointed out that it requires 1,300 to 2,300 different gene products to have one cell. Hmm. That's a massive amount of information. Yes. Structured information for a single cell to exist. And the, the atheists can't respond to that. They don't know how that happens. That's interesting. Do they just kind of gloss over it when confronted with that sort of dilemma? Well, I think the new, um, I guess, phenomenon is that atheists are basically trying to deal with the whole idea of the beginning of the universe. And the challenges in the universe, whether it's, you know, the laws of nature, consciousness, or the biology of itself, a massive amount of information is embedded within laws biology, and consciousness. So if all of this happened naturally, how did... And the challenge is biologically, there are no biological processes where information can come into existence. Very interesting. Hang on a moment. We'll come back with Patrick Pearl, his book, Things Atheists Say That Simply Make No Sense. We'll be back on Janet Mefford today. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical 
medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? Good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal. Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5, 20 Bibles for $100, or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you and great to have Patrick Pearl. His book is called Things Atheists Say That Simply Make No Sense. And it's very interesting to look at how science seems to be the be-all end-all for a lot of these, especially new atheists. And yet there are many points at which they have difficulty talking themselves out of what is problematic via atheism. You were bringing up the subject, Patrick, before we went to the break, for example, of consciousness. And you were talking about, you know, trying to come to a conclusion about the origins of the life and the origins of the world. But isn't that one right. of the standard arguments that you can't explain consciousness? Have they made any gains whatsoever in trying to come up with an explanation for consciousness absent the existence of God? Really, they have it. And I think it's really telling um, Colin McGinn, who's an atheist philosopher, basically says that with consciousness, it's almost like something new was injected into the fabric of the universe. <laughs> wow. It's so different. Yeah. It's, and he, he calls it miraculous, but yet he doesn't believe in God. So here you have a miracle staring at him in the face, a new thing that's interjected into the fabric of the universe, but yet he still clings to atheism. Yeah. That's so interesting. Well, and this kind of brings us to this question about religion, because there's an awful lot of animosity that a lot of these atheists have toward religion, religion causing all the wars and religion ruining right. everything and religion being evil and these sorts of things. If they believe that religion really isn't valid, any religion, I would imagine, but especially, you know, Christianity, what are they so mad about? I mean, how in the world can you be mad at something that doesn't exist? That's a great point. I, th I find it really amusing that Richard Dawkins declares war on God. Yes. <laughs> yes. How, how can you declare war on something which you don't believe exists? That's it. Yeah, that's it. But but I mean, how do we deal with some of these allegations, for example, that religion is responsible for the wars in the world and, and these evil Christians have done such, such damage to the world? I mean, what do you think is at root there? And, and how do you respond when an atheist goes in that direction? Well, the way that I responded is, because I love history, is I just actually went back and looked at the data. So I went back and I looked at the FBI crime reports in 2013. 
And of the roughly 1.2 million crimes in America, you have less than one-tenth of one percent of all violent crime having anything to do with religious bias, which to me is interesting because roughly 90% of people in America believe in God. This is one of the most religious nations on earth. So if religion caused war, caused conflict, you know, surely it would show up in the FBI crime data, and it, and it doesn't. Yeah, that, and then when you look good. at the 14 wars that the United States has, has fought since its history, the only war that had anything to do with religion, in fact, was the war on terror. Mm-hmm. And in that war, only seven-tenths of one percent of all war crimes from the beginning of the United States, not war crimes, but war deaths, were attributable to religion. Hmm. And so the data in the United States doesn't hold this up at all. And then I looked at ancient empires. I I looked at the Roman Empire over the course of 900 years, and not a single war was caused by religion, the advancement of religion, or anything to do with religion. That's that's, Which is pretty telling to me. It's very telling, and that's a little hard to refute when you look at the hard data. That's good. And, you know, when we're talking about Christianity in particular, I also find it noteworthy that you have certain atheists tipping their hat, as it were, to Jesus, not bowing to him as Lord, certainly. What do you make of that? Oh, we'll, we'll take Jesus as a good guy. He was a moral teacher, all these kinds of problems that C.S. Lewis dealt with, that you can't just take him as a good teacher because he didn't claim just to be a good teacher. But what are you seeing from some of these new atheists in regard to how they see Jesus? Well, I I found it interesting. When you look at people even like Bertrand Russell, who's in a way the father of modern atheism, um, you know, Bertrand Russell admired Jesus's morality. And then you have people like Richard Dawkins, who thinks that Jesus is intelligent based upon an interview he did from Guardian uh, magazine website. And he also basically acknowledges that Jesus was a highly moral person. So mm-hmm. you do get back into the C.S. Lewis question of if Jesus is highly intelligent, he likely is not crazy. If Jesus was highly moral, he likely was not lying. So you kind of have to deal with the question of if Jesus isn't lying and he's not crazy, maybe he's telling the truth. Yes. Well, now, do you hold to the view that at root what is going on with many of these atheists would be morality, not so much uh, wrestling with the data that you've mentioned, or even things like all of the historical evidence that there is uh, of the empty tomb of Jesus, the 500 witnesses, the veracity and the truthfulness of the Bible? Is it really morality, do you believe, at root that is separating at least the lion's share of these atheists from the, the possibility that they need to embrace the existence of God. Is that really what's going on with them, do you think? Actually, I think it's a lot more um, involved than that. And for some, I do think that's the issue. But I think for others, when I've, as I've gone back and I've kind of read a lot of their stories, I, it was really striking to me how many were orphans. Oh, really? It was striking to me how many were raised in British boarding schools. It was striking to me how many were raised in an environment where intellect and kind of, for lack of better terms, kind of the intellectual pride, arrogance of the day, you know, suggested that you're not a scholar if you believe in God. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) 
there, there's a lot of reasons. And I was really struck by, for all of these atheists, you know, just like for people to believe in God, they believe for many reasons. For people to be an atheist, there's many reasons. Sure. But that that question of intelligence strikes me as an important one because you address, for example, in your book, this claim that they think if you believe in God, you're not intelligent. And I see this, people right. people talking like this all the time. They truly believe I'm so smart, I'm an atheist, and anybody who doesn't go down the road I've, or I've gone down clearly isn't smart. What, what strikes me, though, about that statement is if you're so smart, how did you get to be so smart? Through, through natural selection. I, and, and couldn't it be possible that there's someone even smarter than you who created you? Exactly. Exactly. And I think the thing that troubles me about the perspective also is, for lack of a better term, I call it intellectual naturalism. Hmm. So here you have, again, I'll point to Richard Dawkins. You know, he points to the intellectual elite and how such a massive percent of the intellectual elite do not believe in God. But but who he points to is the Royal Society. And that's a group of about 1,700 scientists. Wow. So are 1,700 scientists the ones who are going to determine for the rest of the planet whether God exists or not? Wow, yeah. I really don't think so. Well, no, I don't think so either. And it's it's also striking to me that when they talk about there's no meaning to life, and this is, again, an outgrowth of their belief in naturalism, what are they looking for to give them meaning? I mean, if they've already concluded that there is no meaning to life and, you know, none of this matters yeah. and those who hold to scientism, why are they here? Why do they stay here? And I mean that as an honest question. Why do they remain here if they believe there's no meaning? How does man survive if he believes there is no meaning to life? I think that's the question that a lot of them are really dealing with. Um, and so I'll use Alex Rosenberg as an example again. Um, you know, he claims that there's no meaning and, and no purpose in life, but he gets up and he teaches class every day. Right. Yeah. And I've never met him personally, but someone who I have spoken with who does know him says he treats people as though they're, they have value. He seems like a decent human being. He's not an ogre. You know, he's, he's, he evidently is a nice man, but he's a nice man who, you know, is seeking to fill this void with something when he claims that there is nothing to fill it with. But yet he suggests that we, you know, basically pursue a life of being nice because it makes us feel better than not being nice. Boy. And so his implied purpose is pleasure or feeling good, you know, when he can't point to anything else. And so that, that tells me that you have to have a reason to live. Even if, even if you make up one of your own, you have to have a reason to live. And, and even the people who claim that there is none basically implicitly embrace one. Well, they do. And yet that's a pretty shallow reason to live is, is pleasure when, in fact, life is full of pain. Boy, what a good book. It's called Things Atheists Say That Simply Make No Sense. Patrick Pearl with us. Patrick, so good to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Janet. You bet. Thank you for being with us here on Janet Mefford today. Help us reach our goal of 350 babies being saved, pre-born babies, through with the power of ultrasound. $28 is all it costs to fund one ultrasound through the Ministry of Preborn. You can call now 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. We'll see you next time.